Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, bringing quality care to your community through Harrisburg, Community General Osteopathic, and West Shore Hospitals. More information on our locations is available at pinnaclehealth.org. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. The first six months of the Trump administration have been marked by what seems like a daily bombshell. Often the president and his actions haven't been viewed in a positive way. And most polls have shown less than 40 percent of those surveyed think the president is doing a good job. Just yesterday, John Kelly became Trump's new chief of staff. And within hours, Anthony Scaramucci was out as the White House communications director after only 10 days on the job. Will Kelly be able to stabilize a White House that has been and described as in chaos. Joining us today to talk politics is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, Professor of Public Affairs, and Director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. Dr. Madonna, welcome to the program. Good morning, Scott. And I want to thank you for filling in last week uh, talking about medical marijuana. Yeah, it was a great vacation. show. No, we had great calls. I, I thought it was fabulous with the, in, the interaction with the, the, the li your listeners. Yeah, it was wonderful. Well, we, we had you on as a guest host, but uh, we haven't talked politics for a while. Yeah, we haven't. And th so much is going on in Washington, yeah. not as much in Harrisburg, but certainly in Washington. If you'd like to join in today in our conversation, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. All right, I used the word chaos. Uh, the president tweeted yesterday that the White House is not in chaos. Is it? Well, let's see. You fire the the communications director is fired. The f the former press secretary is gone. There have been two or three other people who have picked up and walked out or were told told to leave. In effect, these are the folks who largely had the re Scott the relationship with the party, with the Republican Party. You might call them establishment or mainstream. So that what's left are kind of the people who were in the campaign, you know, or who had a lot of sympathies to begin with, with Trump. The fact of the matter is it is in chaos. And the difficulty comes right from the top. And I guess we have to get, what's a, what are the words, accustomed maybe, to the style of Donald J. Trump. He's very different than any other uh, 44 presidents who preceded him. It's not likely to change. Some of us thought that it would, that the campaign, that it was, he was playing The Apprentice. You know, he was doing the uh, TV stuff. But the fact of the matter is that's who he is. He's going to be himself. He's going to continue to tweet. He's going to contradict his own advisors. And maybe they can take care of the leaks and get some of the chaos out of the staffing. But I think the bottom line is that... Uh, Given Donald Trump's personality, like him or not, and that's not the point I'm trying to make, he's going to be who he is, and that's not going to change. Now, aside from not being able to contract, uh, concentrate on policy and uh, the president's agenda, what are the potential repercussions of a White House in chaos? Well, that you, A, you get a mixed message, that there's not a clear vision about where he wants to take the country. He himself has contradicted himself on health care. I can't figure out if he's for... Uh, repeal and replace or let the health care Obamacare sink you know he said both he's been on a, a number of sides on that there's a lack of consistency and then only belatedly did he get involved in helping to, to get the affordable you know the changes to the Affordable Care Act uh, the Senate version first the House version of uh, replacement bottom line uh, he there needs to be more discipline but if it doesn't start at the top the staffers can help them, you know, and they're important. Make no mistake about it. But it needs to get discipline. It needs to get a message. And where are we heading now after health care? Tax reform, right? Mm. How important is that? It's hugely important. The Democrats, within the last day, day or two, Democrats have come out and said, let's sit down and work on this together. Now, you never know what they mean by that, but it can't continue to be the roadshow that Trump has... Uh, 
has established in the White House. Is it dangerous if that we had this chaos well, from the top? there are people who think it is. I mean, I've read accounts where people are deeply concerned about the potential of a war. Look at the situation this country faces with North Korea. There isn't any doubt in... I, I, I think it's one of the more serious threats since the end of World War II. And whether we can continue to allow them to do what they're doing, uh, given, given, the, uh, given the guy who heads that country. But the fact of the matter is, Scott, can we let it go, but are we going to do what? Take out their, their missile sites? I mean, really? Given how close Seoul, Korea, and I've heard different figures about how many people live in and around Seoul. Let's use 10 million, all within the range of, of, of the North Korean uh, artillery and, and other weapons. I mean, imagine that situation. <clears throat> China's not being helpful. This could go any way. Mm-hmm. When you say that uh, the most dangerous situation since uh, World War II, one of the reasons <clears throat> I always like having a conversation with you on the air, Terry, is you bring that historic perspective to it. Why do you think it's the most dangerous situation <clears throat> since World War II? Because they have, they're developing the capability of landing a nuclear weapon in our country. And, you know, after the, <clears throat> after the first successful intercontinental missile was developed to carry a nuke. They made the claim they could reach uh, various parts of the United States, but I don't think there's any doubt that Alaska now, and they're even claiming, and I've read some reports, that it, they could go all throughout any parts of our country. Well, soon. I've seen as far east <coughs> as Chicago, as Chicago may, maybe even, maybe even New York. Uh, I know, mean, it goes that far. Uh, but, you know, the Trump administration, whether it's the Trump administration or any administration, the Options are limited there, <clears throat> yeah. but it, with, with this administration, with I mean, now you have a former general, U.S. Marine general, who <clears throat> um, almost everyone says positive things about Absolutely. him. Uh, does that make a difference with uh, John Kelly as chief of staff with, with dealing with North Korea? Well, it might. I mean, the problem, quite frankly, as foreign policy analysts will tell you, the options are limited. Europe doesn't seem, and we're now trying again. Europe doesn't seem remotely interested in this because it's you know on the other side of the of of the globe from them. But this is a problem that confronts the entire uh, civilized world. I mean, this is something that uh, we all have to deal with, and what we're going to do. <clears throat> and I was convinced right from the moment the folks were saying, "Well, we're going to get China. China, you know, ninety percent of their food supply, all of this trade." Uh, I, I don't think China is much interested in being helpful. I think it's, pro- and we, you know, sanctions on China, heavier sanctions on Korea. I don't know where it all goes. No one knows. That's what's interesting, where it all goes. But I think right now it's probably, now we've got ISIS and who knows when we could have some parts of America under attack from ISIS. But fact of the matter is North Korea is our single biggest challenge and we need to get a collective policy not just Donald Trump in the White House, but Democrats and others involved in whatever we're going to do to resolve it. Let's get back to uh, the White House. Uh, Polls have shown that 40% of the people believe the president is doing a good job. Uh, Give us some perspective on that uh, first six months into an administration. uh, Donald Trump's positive job performance is the lowest after six months of any president since polling began. So we're going back to the 40s and 50s when we began to look, you know, scientifically at job performance. It's the lowest. Now, we've had presidents who've been in that range before. You know, Bill Clinton dropped down there briefly. It's, this is not unusual to get a drop into the low 40s. The fact is that, uh, that he has held on despite controversies with most of his core base. And what are we talking about? In our state, the people who elected him, the white working class, basically west of the Susquehanna River. Hillary Clinton only carried two counties, Scott, west of the Susquehanna River, Center, translation, Penn State, and Allegheny County, translation, Pittsburgh. She only won 11 counties, uh, nine of them east of the Susquehanna River. Two-thirds of the geography is west. It's rural. It's small town. Those voters are hanging in with him. Now, he's doing, losing some 
of the voters who strongly who had previously strongly approve of him. They've dropped down to somewhat approve without getting in too much into the weeds with polls. He's held on to that base, but he's not increased his support among Democrats and independents. Could be the polarization. It could be Trump's personality. It could be the policies. Probably a combination of all of those things. But those same polls show that about 80% of Republicans right. think the president yeah. is doing a good job. They're in my in mind, if ever there was uh, evidence of a divided country, I mean, you have two sets of people looking at the same thing and seeing it in a completely different oh, yeah. way. Look, I've talked, I've begun, uh, I've begun talking about this in, in, the t- in the speeches that I give. The fact of the matter is we have greater polarization on issues, the likes of which we probably haven't seen since the 1930s. I have to struggle to find things that Democrats and Republicans agree on. Last week when I was co-host or hosting In Your Absence, one of them was medical marijuana, by the way. They agree on that one. Oh, 87% of of Pennsylvania voters. There's a start. (laughs) But you really do have to struggle to find. And, you know, the Democrats have moved increasingly left. The Republicans, since the Tea Party in particular, have moved increasingly to the right. The middle has shrunk. And now in many elections, it's as much about getting the base out as it going after those middle of the road independent voters, you know, that are out there that could make a difference. And, and we'll see that play out in the midterm election uh, 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 coming up. Uh, and, and that's another aspect of the Trump presidency that could be very important with the Democrats needing 24 seats to take over the House of Representatives and I don't think I have to tell your listeners in the Senate how many. They lose more than two. We know what happens there, right? Yeah, a good example uh, <laughs> earlier this week. And again, I want to go back in, in history. Uh, you are a presidential scholar. Uh, you know, aside from polls, polls are something that's relatively new if you look back over the last 50 years. But going back over the past 240 <laughs> years of the republic, has there ever been an administration that has had a six-month period its first like, this. Six, like this one? Yeah, Andrew Johnson. All right, well, <laughs> he succeeded Abraham Lincoln, and the Republicans controlled Congress. They were called radical Republicans. Uh, they had an agenda that was very difficult. He didn't, he didn't do so well. He probably had the worst time. And remember, he succeeded to the presidency, uh, you know, a former Tennessee a public official, a senator, uh, you you get the point. He was not put on the ticket because he embraced the, uh, you know, uh, put on the ticket with Lincoln because he embraced the agenda of the North. So that, that, and Jimmy Carter, you know, the peanut farmer, he didn't exactly have, that was, I don't think anywhere close to what Donald Trump is going through. The polarization wasn't as great back in the 1970s. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that this division is ripping the country apart with no consensus. Here's another way to think about it. The Democrats have become the party of urban America. And let's throw in the suburbs, okay? The Republicans have become the party as they've lost out in the suburbs. They've now become the party of rural and small town America and rural and small town Pennsylvania as well. So think about the working class that the Democrats used to represent as a result of the New Deal. They were firmly entrenched in the Democratic Party. They began to move away with something that we called the Reagan Democrats. And so you could go, Donald Trump won, I'll have to recall this from the election, 23 counties in our state by 70% of the vote. Think about that. He won 56. Uh, 56 counties, and you know where they mostly were? Rural and small town. You get it? Mm -hmm. These divisions, and what urban America, the the concerns of urban America are not fundamentally different from rural America, but they involve a much more complex demographic. You know, there are a fair number of immigrants, and the cultural views are, are liberal. Go to rural and small town America, you don't have the same infusion of immigration, they're culturally conservative on gay rights, transgender issues, uh, abortion, for example. So by and large, we, we live in, 
and we probably live in more Americas than I'm talking about, but easily definable as two Americans, Americas, two Pennsylvanias, and that defines our politics. Well, okay, let's, let me follow up on that, and we'll take some phone calls in just a few minutes, so be patient. Um, Philadelphia suburbs, the counties surrounding Philadelphia were solidly Republican voting counties. 30, 40 years ago. You're exactly right. But always there always was a caveat that, okay, they vote Republican, but they are socially, maybe not liberal, well, but on social right, issues, yeah. they weren't very conservative, but they were on fiscal issues. But those counties for the mo- went with Hillary Clinton, and the last couple of elections have All gone four Democrat. Of them. All four right. of them. Obama lost Chester in 2012, but you're basically right. Hillary Clinton underperformed in Philly. But Didn't get the vote out. That's right. And the percentage that she got of African Americans and Hispanics were not what Barack Obama got in 2012. But she, oh, in a sense, compared to uh, President Obama at the time, overperformed in the 2016 election, where she did better than Obama did in 2012. He lost Chester County, by the way. And so, and now the, the, a democratic gains are not out in the Southwest, you know, out in the out in the Washington, the Westmoreland counties, you know, Fayette, Green. I could go through them. I never. The Republican losses have been in the burbs. There, new members elected to local as well as state office. Guess where they are? They're out in the in in small town and rural Pennsylvania. And here's the point I'll make. I never thought in my lifetime a Erie, Pennsylvania would have a Republican state senator. I'll go one better. I never thought in my lifetime Johnstown, Pennsylvania would have a Republican state. I think I'm trying to make my point with some examples. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org/spine. Our guest during this portion of the program is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, political analyst and pollster at Franklin and Marshall College. We're talking about politics, talking about Washington now. We'll get on to uh, the state budget in just a few minutes. And actually, uh, some news yesterday about the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, and uh, we'll touch on that as well. If you have a question or a comment, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page on Twitter. We are at Smart Talk WITF. 1-800-729-7532. Let's take a phone call from Jim in Enola. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, uh, Scott. Hi, uh, Terry. I always enjoy when uh, when you have Dr. Madonna on. Well, thank, thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, the, the, the main thing I want to talk about is uh, about my concerns if we have a, a real crisis. But let me just respond to what you just said, Terry, about why it is that we have a state, a Republican state senator in Erie and Johnstown. I mean, there's one reason for that. It's gerrymandering. I don't think in modern history the uh, state legislative districts have been gerrymandered nearly as badly as they are right now. And that's, you know, you, well, you know this better than I do, but we have roughly equal amounts of Democrats and Republicans who vote in most elections and yet uh, we have a veto-proof majority in the state Senate and almost a veto-proof majority mm-hmm. in the state House, and it's 13 to 5 in the congressional districts. It's all gerrymandering. That's what it is. Anyhow, the, the main thing I wanted to talk about was the concern I have if we would happen to have a crisis. Keep in mind that, that uh, the economy's in great shape, the stock market's hitting record highs. All this ridiculousness is happening while... The country is in pretty good shape. What happens, say, if we have another 9-11? What happens if North Korea drops a nuke on, on somebody? Uh, this president has just got a history of, of just making snap judgments, and nobody can talk him out of it, like transgenders. All the reporting indicates that the generals simply talk to him about, uh, maybe we want to cut back paying for sex change surgery for, right. uh, 
transgenders in the military. Well, Trump overreacts, right. says we're going to ban all transgenders, and nobody can talk them out of it. So, so you know, the, the question, which we don't have an answer to, is what happens if we have a true crisis? This guy has a history of overreacting, and then he, he will not be talked back off the ledge. Mm. So that is the concern that I think every American, Republican and Democrat, should have about this president. All right, thanks, Jim, for your call. Yeah, there are two questions there, Scott. Let's take the first with the gerrymander. There's no doubt that gerrymandering, as it's taken place, has benefited the Republicans, and it's done differently for Congress than for the state legislature. So the caller is certainly right. But here's something else to remember. The Democrats have given up on the agenda for the working class as they have become more urban-oriented with a, what we could call an urban agenda. So the Democrats have walked away. That's what a lot of working class folks say that have been interviewed, you know, both scientifically and anecdotally over the last couple, uh, excuse me, decades, not just last few years. So Republicans now articulate a conservative cultural agenda that's appealing. I'm still and remember, we had the Tea Party wave come out with you know, because of the uh, failure of the then Obama administration to deal adequately with the recession in 2010. And that begins this tidal wave of Republicans that end up in control in our state of the House and the Senate. Senate's been in control of the Republicans in Pennsylvania since Genesis, I think. Actually, <laughs> 1980. You have to go back that far. So you get the point. The Democrats also, in addition to the, have walked away. That's why they came out with a new agenda, uh, you know, at the end of last week. They now have an agenda, the Democrats do, aimed, aimed at, it's called the better deal, not the new deal, with programs and policies that they're going to aim at that. The other thing was, yeah, I, I, I agree, I think there is real concern about how Donald Trump would handle a crisis. It's one thing to say, you know, okay, let's, let's debate transgender in you know the in the military there are folks who are transgender there now and as the caller accurately points out the real issue was whether you should pay for it we should pay for it as taxpayers maybe i'm wrong they're separate questions right maybe you could say well we're not paying for it but we're going to accept transgender you get it so these are how he reacts in a crisis we can only hope that General Kelly is a stabilizing influence there. Well, and, okay, you brought up uh, John Kelly, and I wanted to talk about that. And you mentioned this very early on in the program. Chief of Staff, Press Secretary, and Director of Communications all quit or were fired in the last two weeks uh, with uh, Anthony Scaramucci. He didn't even go two weeks. Ten but, days. Uh, ten days, yeah. Now, these are positions that we don't normally hear about in an administration. I mean, they're often in the background. Every press once in a while. With the exception of the press Right, secretary. right. Which, if they are on camera, yeah, unlike right. on this yeah, administration, yeah. you see them every day. But it's become a center of attention in this administration. And John Kelly's first day on the job was uh, yesterday. When it, This is something the president had to say as he was introducing him. Oops, okay, let me just make sure I get the right. Here we go. We just swore in General Kelly. He will do a spectacular job, I have no doubt, as Chief of Staff. Uh, what he's done in terms of homeland security is record-shattering. You look at the border, you look at the tremendous results we've had, and you look at the spirit. And with a very controversial situation, there's been very little controversy, which is pretty amazing by itself. Okay, there are a few things there to comment on. When the president makes these statements, he uses these superlatives all the for time. Everybody. For everybody. For <laughs> everybody. You know, he'll be... You know, he'll be the best ever. Maybe he will be. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you measure that as far as the chief of staff goes, but uh, that, you know, he was a precedent setter on the border. I don't quite know what that means either. Well, the number of illegal immigrants has, 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 has shrunk, dr yeah. dramatically shrunk, and he's giving... General Kelly the credit for that. And I'm not taking that. I, I don't know either way whether General Kelly <laughs> is. But talk about this. I mean, we're at a point now where, as he said, you have a former Marine general who, from every account, everyone talks about in a positive way. But you would think on the surface that someone with that background would bring some discipline. Oh, that's the whole point. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the point. Somebody with credibility. And as you point out, somebody who's 
you know, when he was uh, confirmed, I think it was, I, I'll probably be wrong about this, I think it was 80-some votes when he was confirmed to be Homeland Security uh, Secretary, a role uh a job, by the way, that a guy named <coughs> Tom Ridge once Right. Out. I was thinking about that. Just think <laughs> knew, Tom Ridge could have been chief were. of staff. Yeah. 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 When, and he was the first one. Right. Right. Yeah. Left Mark Schweiker, Governor, then Lieutenant Governor Mark Schweiker in charge of the state. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the hope that it does appear that Trump has almost immeasurable respect for the military. I think you would agree with that. So I think the expectation is that Trump might actually listen to the chief of staff. And chiefs of staff are not supposed to be doing smart talk. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. I, I could say that this is probably the first time we've talked about a chief of yeah, staff on this program. They're not supposed to right. do smart talk. <laughs> they're supposed to remain in the background and organize and have the tentacles out there and making sure the White House runs smoothly, something that has not been the case, even as fondest supporters... Uh, well, he might say, well, we're draining the swamp. We're still draining the swamp. Yeah, but sometimes you're draining the swamp now of people you appointed, <laughs> you know, not holdovers from the Obama administration. All right, so let's talk about some issues here. Okay. Health care. Uh, Trump said this weekend, even though, uh, you know, the Senate uh, said, uh, okay, it's done. We, you know, we're not going to deal with it anymore. But the president came out and said, repeal and replace isn't dead, that uh, we'll let yep. uh, Obamacare implode. Well, now let me say something. Lindsey Graham and some other senators are having, uh, have, they want to bring it back up and they want to make some changes that, that some senators say they think they can get bring Democrats on board. And the biggest change would be to transfer money that's currently the federal government. You do A, B, and C to the states. Give it to the states and give them more flexibility. That's probably the biggest item in that program. Do I think it, you can rule out completely that before September, the end of September, they would, they would uh, you know, bring it up again? The answer is yes. But no one knows for sure. I mean, we're begging to know what can be done and what can't be done. Again, I want to point out something we talked about a moment ago. They've got to, the Republicans need one of Trump's three or four big agenda items. Yes, Trump can talk about executive action and things that he's done by virtue of his power as president, but health care, tax reform, and let's not forget infrastructure. Yeah, I was going to talk about all three. Infrastructure, yeah. and then the regulations that some of which Congress has to change would be on that list as well. But it's, it, it, he's got to show some progress by the end of this year. Why? Why does he have to? Well, because we have something called the midterm elections right, next year. Right, but that's, that's 18 months, 15 months yeah, away. Yeah, but remember, the midterm elections themselves are underway, as you know, because... Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we have 2018 in our state. We have, you know, not arguably a pretty serious opponent to a guy named Bob Casey, uh, who is probably going to announce that he's running, of course. I'm Lou talking, Barletta, yeah. Yeah, Lou Barletta. Uh, well, we can save our discussion about that, but the uh, the 2018 midterm is underway, and as I indicated before, this can be a disaster for any administration with the average seat loss in the House, 30. Of the, fir of the first 30. year. The first year that... A well, the first midterm. The first midterm so after a pre you president. You've got to start turning yeah. it around, and maybe he can do it in the spring next year in the midst of an election. When they're filing in the states, you know, in the prime, I don't know. Well, it's, you know, when the president says that maybe we'll just let Obamacare implode, but then at the same time he talks about not, uh, you know, providing those payments to insurance companies, which almost would guarantee, I mean, if how about, you were, How about payments... For the health care of members of Congress, right. that may even other, be yeah, that may be even work better. Yeah, threaten, right? <laughs> threaten that on 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 Twitter, right. but I mean it's almost not fair if you do it that. And I don't know if that's a good way I to know put what it. You mean. That uh, to say we'll let it implode, but if you help that along, yeah. then then you're it, assisting it, it, its implosion. It, exactly. That's your point. It, it, whether he exactly should do that right. or not. But you know something you said a few minutes ago. You mentioned Senator uh, Lindsey Graham. There are a number of, um, I think the last number I saw was 40, uh, centrist 
House members mm-hmm. who were getting together to try to work on health care too. Right, uh, Congressman Dent, who Charlie represents Dent. part He's of not our always areas. been on board. Oh, He's not always most of the time not <laughs> on board. Been on board with the president, yeah. but a Republican. But uh, in fact, we're trying to get Congressman Dent on the program to talk yeah. about this. But wouldn't it be ironic after you know such polarization and such controversy on health care that actually? Two sides would come together, and there would be some compromise. Well, the problem with health care, as I stated, is this. Democrats are afraid if they let Republicans under the tent that they will gut the the Affordable Care Act. They will ruin it. This is Democratic view. By what? By cutting Medicaid, which the Senate first, you know, they wanted to do and make these changes that privatize health care. Democrats don't want that. Republicans then point their finger at Democrats like I'm pointing my finger at you and say, you don't want to make any changes. You're against repairing the Affordable Care Act. You get it? Mm -hmm. So each, look, they don't like each other very much anymore and they don't trust each other. I talk about that all the time. How do you make a deal with someone you don't like and you don't trust? Exactly. It's just, and remember, because of the caller was dead on, because of gerrymandering where... The districts, oh, I don't have a 55-45, meaning 55, I'm a Republican, 55% R, 45% D. Oh, I now have 65% R. Well, how far can I move away from the agenda of my party or the people without facing a primary? So what you're saying is there's no incentive to compromise. Yeah, there's absolutely, that's exactly right. Never mind that the good of the country. Not, Not an incentive. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows... Everybody knows the Affordable Care Act needs fixed. Oh yeah, there are problems with it. There are serious, and, and Republicans serious. have identified a yes. lot of. I mean, the, the premiums the, going up way. That's right. Too but much. Some of the choices. solutions that I want. Look, conservative Republicans led by libertarian, libertarian Rand Paul, they want almost complete privatization of the health care. And then there are moderates in this in the Senate, for example, who they would I think be more comfortable tweaking it, tweaking it. And even the Republicans can't get together within their own caucus. And Democrats more and more are shifting towards two words, universal care. Yeah, Senator Single Sanders, uh, and he, you know, and I, I, again, I've I've read, and I'm sure you have too, a number of people saying that that's the road we're on because the two sides can't agree on this. Of course, I can't see them agreeing on that either. Yeah. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a phone call from Larry in Lancaster, who brings up an issue that has in, been in the news here the last couple of days that really haven't heard a lot much uh, much about from the Trump administration. Larry, you're on the air. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. My concern, my concern is Venezuela, yeah. and the fact that that started off as a thriving democracy with the richest economy in South America. It's now a pauper state with a dictatorship, and the beginning of that process started with a populist revolution that elected a socialist president who died and then was replaced by a dictator. I'm um, not concerned that the same thing could happen in the United States. Mm. We've elected a populist president who is, frankly, a nutcake, and um, we have a class warfare going on. Mm. Hey, well, thank you, Larry, very much for your call. Uh, you know, it's not very often that you would yeah. hear the United States compared to Venezuela, Venezuela. but... Yeah, I think there... I mean, can you rule anything out? No. Do I think that's likely to happen? No. The institutional and historical arrangements here are are much greater than they than they are in some Latin and South American... Central and South American countries. I don't overly fear that. I don't think that Donald Trump would pull a coup. I get the concern, and I've heard it... I've heard that before... And I understand the concern, but I, I, I just think the institutional arrangements here are too great. I can't see our military, uh, you know, going ahead and, and acting, you know, in, in that manner, the way that, you know, the military is acting under the head of the Venezuelan uh, president. And what's ironic is, and I could be wrong, maybe some of your listeners know, I think Venezuela has the largest supply of oil in the world. 
And you see, and they were living, if they had figured out a way to make sure that everybody shared in that wealth, you get it. And then the oil prices dropped uh, eight or nine years ago, and all of a sudden, you know, they faced trouble uh, on the fi- on the on the financial and fiscal side. Mm. A couple issues before uh, we let okay. you go. Uh, infrastructure. You mentioned infrastructure. You know, this is there's no doubt, and I think that almost everyone can agree that this country's infrastructure needs an upgrade. You mean but, you drive on Pennsylvania roads? Well, it's not just Pennsylvania. <laughs> I, I mean, know, in other but places. You get the point, but yeah, yeah, I mean, sewage systems, uh, water systems, uh, airports. You know, there's no doubt that it needs an upgrade. Seaports. Yeah. This was something that the president campaigned on. You would think that it would not be a partisan issue. It has become a partisan issue. I mean, it's got to be well, dealt with, whether it's this administration or not. Someone right. has got to do something about the, uh, the infrastructure in this country, but how to pay for it is the big that's question. That's right. Well, the president wants to spend a trillion dollars. That was his original plan. And you would think, in particular, with Democrats, they would sign on to this. They would want to sign in, and, and some have. The problem, and you've hit it, the problem is how to pay for it. Number two, the president's proposal wants... 80% of it to be done by the private sector in the law. And so Democrats have problems with that. But you're right. It seems that that would be something that, in fact, I thought when he first proposed it during the campaign, I thought, wow, he's going to have more trouble with Republicans than he is with with Democrats on it. But they haven't fleshed it out in Congress, just like the tax plan. I'm holding three or four papers here. The tax plan he sent over was three or four papers. You know, it, we could fit into three or four papers, eight, eight and a half by, you know, it's literally just a basic outline. So you can fill in the gaps. And Democrats have said, as I pointed out a moment ago, let's sit down and talk about this. So, I, you know, maybe we just maybe. Uh, but I think on tax reform, there are very big differences on how you deal with corporations, who should get the tax breaks, how much, what percentage should they be, where are the offsets, and how you're going to pay for that. And then you got a trillion bucks in the... In, in the in the transportation in the infrastructure to be more accurate a couple other issues going to change uh, gears here terry uh, uh pennsylvania has a uh spending part or, <laughs> of uh their, their state budget the state's budget uh but does not have a revenue part of how that uh, money how the spending is going to be paid for and uh the the senate you know in a way kind of surprise uh, came up with a plan 26 24 vote bipartisan bipartisan uh that included a, a severance tax on uh, Marcella yep. Shea, which was a bit of a surprise now had to send it to the house it has to be agreed on by the house they're not in session does not appear publicly anyway, to be any great hurry to deal and with it. we're a month after the June 30th. Exactly. So what happens here? Okay. Well, let's take a look at what I think in part motivates the situation, Scott. Let's start with this. Number one, back in the day, employees would be paid off. I mean, they would be laid off and, and they wouldn't get paid. And there was lots of pressure because services were cut. Thanks to the courts, nope, not now. Employees, if they work, they have to get paid. Number two, there's not been a single service to the residents of the state curtailed because they approved, as you accurately point out, $32 billion in spending. So there's no pressure anywhere on the state legislature to pass the revenue portions of it because all the services are being performed and state workers are doing their jobs. So where are the pressure? Why aren't you getting... 50 phone calls every show you do because I can't get a I can't get a, a license renewed. I can't you know I, I can't get into the Department of Environmental Protection to find out what I can do here or do So there's no pressure. Now the state treasurer Joe Tercella has said by the end of August the revenue you know the, the money that the state has on hand will be severely lessened you know raising the specter that some services would be cut. So there's no pressure probably for a couple of weeks on on the House, which, by the way, is of the two chambers, even though the Senate's gotten more conservative, the House is by far more conservative than the Senate. So you can see why, oh, by the way, I want to do a Marcel, I want to do a severance tax, something like six, six, six and a half percent. Uh, 
you know, which would raise the gasoline tax that uh, uh, that we pay, what you pay at the pump, it's supposed to generate about a hundred million. And then there are other taxes, as you point out. You know your electric bill. I know yeah, it's going up. And gas bill. And, and gas all that. bill. Yep. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Uh, communic- telecommunication bills are are going up. But here's here's the fundamental problem. Number one, how can you continue to spend money for services you want to deliver when the revenues aren't in the budget to pay for it? So you either have to do and or one of two things. You have to either cut programs or raise revenues, right? And the Republicans are adamant against raising the sales tax and raising the income tax. Well, Terry, we're almost out of time for uh, this portion of the program. By the way, I want to point out that uh, we will be uh, at the state capitol, a Smart Talk road trip on Thursday, uh, where Governor Wolf will be a guest on the program, the first portion of the program, where we can ask him some of these questions. And then Joe Sorcella, the treasurer you just mentioned, also will join us. So that's coming up on Thursday. If you'd like to attend, watch the broadcast at the state capitol in the Rotunda, uh, go to WITF.org, events, you can RSVP. And if you'd like to uh, send in a question for the governor or the treasurer, uh, send it to smarttalk at WITF.org. Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Franklin, and Marshall College, thank you very much for being with us today. My pleasure, as always. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. A tuk-tuk is a three-wheeled motorized vehicle that is used mostly for public transportation in countries with heavy downtown city traffic. A few months ago, Tim and Christina Wenger began operating a tuk-tuk in Lancaster, offering a 30-minute tour of the city's downtown. Then earlier this month, the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission voted to deny a license to tuk-tuk Lancaster, and the service stopped operating two weeks ago. Joining us on the program today is Tim Wenger, who is co-owner of Tuk Tuk Lancaster. Mr. Wenger, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And also Kara Mowry, who is uh, your attorney. And I have to admit, this is the first time we've had an attorney along with a, a guest. So, Ms. Mowry, welcome to the program. Thank you. If you have a question or a comment, 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. By the way, am I pronouncing tuk-tuk correctly? There is no wrong way to pronounce it. Um, there, It's in different countries and different languages. It's pronounced different ways. Okay. Uh, we have chosen the uh, pronunciation Tuk Tuk, as in I took a Tuk Tuk. Right? Okay, there you go. So it works right in with, uh, I don't know, marketing, I guess you will. So how did you get the idea for having a Tuk Tuk in, in Lancaster? Six years ago, our family uh, was in Guatemala for uh, a few weeks, uh, spending the summer there, and we uh, experienced tuk-tuks there. That's a very common form of transportation, as you said, uh, in the small villages and in the cities. People who don't have cars, uh, that's their taxi uh, to get from place to place. And I said, this is a fun ride. How can we get one of these in Lancaster? So I did some research, and at that point, there were no street legal versions of tuk-tuks in the U.S. And then last year, I was doing some research and came upon uh, a company in Denver, Colorado, that manufactures them and uh, street legal versions in the U.S. So I put together a plan saying, let's get one to Lancaster. There's so many positive things happening in Lancaster. We've done walking and sampling tours in Lancaster City since 2009, and uh, this is an extension of that, of uh, offering sightseeing and food tours um, via a tuk-tuk. Yeah, you mentioned the food tours, restaurants and that kind of thing. So how would you describe it? I mean, we'll put a picture on our website, WITF.org, but how would you describe what a tuk-tuk looks like? Uh, if you think of the old rickshaw concept, yeah. it's based on that. Uh, they've been motorized and spread throughout uh, Asia, Africa, Latin America, Europe, and now here to the U.S. But it's um, uh, it's basically, uh, imagine kind of like a golf cart with three wheels. Um, golf carts are not street legal in PA, but uh, tuk-tuks are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it's kind of like that. Um, we have the limo version, which seats six people. Many tuk-tuks only seat three uh, passengers. We have the driver plus six, uh, two rows facing each other in the back. So, and it's battery powered, right? That's correct. It's because I know that in some countries, uh, you, if you Google tuk-tuks, you'll see, oh, they pr- pr- produce so much uh, pollution and all that, but those are gas powered. Correct. We have a... a an electric tuk-tuk. Okay. So when did you start offering uh, rides, uh, tours of Lancaster, and uh, the food tours as well? 
Well, the uh, we were hoping to launch on uh, April 22nd, uh, catching the early part of the tourist season in Lancaster. And uh, at that point is when we found out that our application with the PUC for uh, a common carrier license to transport passengers for pay um, hadn't been processed yet and was uh, delayed. And so we, uh, we held off until they were able to delay it again and again. And finally, uh, at the end of May, we said, you know, we have to find out we'd like to find a way just to get operating. So uh, in June and July, we operated uh, by donation to nonprofits. Now, we're, without a license, we were not able to charge passengers, but we could accept donations for a nonprofit. So we started in June. Uh, we've not done the food tours yet because we can't really give those away, um, but we're eager to start those because those are a whole lot of fun. We've uh, did a couple of um, uh, beta testing on those, and, and they're, they're a lot of fun. What's the difference between getting a tour of downtown Lancaster in a tuk-tuk and, say, in a taxi cab or you know riding the bus or even walking yeah there's some really great walking tours in Lancaster that focus on the history there's a historical Lancaster walking tour which is really great for those who are able to walk um, and uh, it's an hour an hour and a half kind of tour uh, in depth lots of information there's an african-american uh, walking tour which is amazing as well with lots of information they've uh, can only do the downtown area um, with within the, the walking tour uh, walking area of downtown with the tuk-tuk we're able to get into some of the neighborhoods and some of the areas that are less common um, and able to tell some of the stories of the, of, of Lancaster in, in other places other than the downtown area. It's also, um, uh, with uh, six passengers, we, we can customize the tours a bit to what uh, the, um, the passengers are interested in. If they want to know more about the history or the architecture, things to do, or the people who live there, we can customize it a bit. Um, th- there, there is a trolley downtown, but it really is just transportation. It's not uh, a touring uh, kind of experience. And you could, you know, get a, a taxi or an Uber and, and hope that the driver knows some things about the, the city. We've prepared a 30-minute overview of the city that uh, gives information. And even people who've lived here their whole lives tell us that they learned something new during that tour. From what I understand, this has been uh, accepted in a real positive way. Uh, even uh, Mayor Rick Gray said he could see it expanding to uh, providing transportation beyond just tours. But the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission finally made a ruling a few weeks ago, and uh, they denied a license for you, a common carrier license, because they cited safety concerns. And really, it sounded as if, and this is where we'll bring Kara in as well, it sounded as if uh, they really didn't have a whole lot of precedent to, to base their, their ruling on, that this isn't happening in other areas of the United States, that the only place they could really look to or to some of these other countries. So, uh, Kara, Kara Marilyn, let me bring you in here. From a legal perspective, Public Utility Commission, their job is to decide whether, you know, when we're talking about common carriers, transportation, whether it's safe and, you know, makes sense and all that. Uh, so how can you argue with that ruling? Um, you're right that the PUC um, does have a statutory obligation to make sure that any common carrier operations are provided in a, in a safe manner. Um, the jurisdiction that the commission has is over transportation of persons between points in Pennsylvania. So that's one one issue that we're looking at as part of our, you know, challenge to the decision. But on the side of it for the safety aspect of it, since you asked about that, I'll address that. Uh, What the commission relied on is a lot of information that they gathered from other countries, and those vehicles were not the same type of vehicle that Tuk Tuk is operating. They were gas-powered. They went at higher speeds. Uh, They didn't have a lot of the uh, safety standards that are required to be street legal in the United States. So those are that's the kind of information that we offered to the commission in urging them to reconsider the decision. The commission, especially through Chairman Brown, also seemed very concerned about the city of Lancaster's view on on the operations. And as part of our reconsideration, we did put a very strong statement in on behalf of the city of Lancaster that was signed by Mayor Gray the chief of police and the director of public works. So that will hopefully be helpful to at least Chairman Brown since she expressed interest in that information. Can you tell me that these things are safe? I can tell you that they they meet all of the federal safety standards that are applicable to um, actually much higher speed vehicles. 
if they had four wheels, they would actually have been able to qualify under much lower standards that apply to low-speed vehicles that only go 25 miles per hour. Uh, but because they have three wheels, they couldn't. Um, the the manufacturer couldn't use those standards. Had to use the more um, extensive standards that apply to all four-wheeled vehicles. What's the max speed for a tuk-tuk? 25 miles an 25 hour. 25 miles per hour. Would they drive in, do you drive in traffic or do you drive in a bike lane? How do you do that? Uh, we drive uh, in the traffic. Uh, in the city of Lancaster, the maximum speed limit is 25 miles an hour. All right. What about the other vehicles in the uh, on, the on the road? I have to admit, if I saw a tuk-tuk in front of me, I don't know, am I supposed to pass this like a buggy or what? Well, in the city of Lancaster, the, the, um, high, the speed limit is 25 miles per hour for all vehicles. Mm-hmm. And they I know, but I'm saying, you, you know, when you see a horse and buggy in Amish country, most of the time they'll go to the side and someone will pass them. That doesn't happen in this case. No, it doesn't really need to because the the flow of traffic is all going 25 miles per hour. The city even said in their statement that they have the lights um, interconnected and synchronized so that, you know, to encourage mm-hmm. people to go the speed limit. So we just see the tuk-tuk vehicle is just going through the normal flow of traffic. We only have about a minute left. I want to thank you very much for being with us today. So what happens next, Tim? Well, we wait for the PUC. Um, They've had 197 days to uh, process our application to get to the point of denying it. We hope it doesn't take that long for them to uh, to look at the uh, the two uh, documents that we have um, submitted for the appeal. It sounds as if you have submitted a lot more information this time. I think the information is pretty extensive. We addressed um, a lot more about the vehicle specifications and the standards that they've they've met. And, and we also did, through the separate filing, ask the commission to take a closer look at whether they even have jurisdiction over these operations. Yeah, that was what I know some people have questioned, whether the PUC does have jurisdiction over it. Uh, and, you know, you, you could be precedent centers here in uh, Pennsylvania, maybe even across the country. I want to thank uh, both of you for being with us today. Tim Wanger is uh, co-owner of uh, Tuk Tuk Lancaster, and Kara Mallory is attorney. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for having thank us. You. Coming up on tomorrow's program, there have been a number of proposals to defund Planned Parenthood. We'll talk about that in Pennsylvania tomorrow. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who has offered transapical mitral valve repair procedures for more than three years and currently serves as a trial site for 16 clinical trials. Information at pinnaclehealth.org slash myheart.